Welcome to the Howard Jarvis Podcast. My name is Susan Shelley. I'm the Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, the most influential taxpayer advocacy group in California. And I'm honored to be joined today, as always, by HJTA President John Kupal. Hi, John. How are you today? Very good, Susan. How are you? I am fine. It's been busy around here. (laughs) And it's always something because, as you know, we are the organization that fights for taxpayers and we use all the powers. We use all the weapons in the arsenal. And we've had weapons in the arsenal in California since 1911, powers of direct democracy, where the voters can change the Constitution, the voters can change the law, the voters can undo a law that the legislature has passed and the governor has signed. And if all else fails, we can recall them. So the legislature and the governor, they don't care for this very much. And it's becoming evident that their arrogance and their sense of entitlement, that they can just tell the voters, ha, you can't, no matter what the Constitution says, it's just becoming out of control. Now, the latest is that they are suing in the state Supreme Court to stop an initiative before the voters have an opportunity to vote on it. Tell us about that. Well, sure. It's it's just the latest example of how entrenched political powers uh, simply detest the powers of direct democracy. Remember how this all came about? You mentioned 1911. I mean, we're, we're going back a long, long way, more than 100 years that the state of California has adopted the uh, powers of direct democracy. Uh, Many, many other states have similar powers, but none quite as robust as California. And that's probably because our governor in 1911, Hiram Johnson, was really one of the founders of the the modern progressive movement um, who wanted to take on entrenched, powerful interests. Now, in 1911, who were the powerful interests? It was the railroads. And uh, the railroads actually controlled the entire political process in the state of California. Well, railroads aren't as powerful as they used to be politically. Uh, so we have other powerful interests, particularly public sector labor organizations. But the entrenched powers are still there. And m- most of the time, maybe not most of the time, but frequently they do not represent the interests of ordinary Californians. They're more interested in in re-election. They're interested in making themselves wealthy. They're interested in satisfying their friends. And so uh, we have these powers. In the power of initiative, we have qualified the Taxpayer Protection and Government Accountability Act. It is qualified. It's going to be on the November ballot. But the the Adversaries of taxpayers hate the Taxpayer Protection Act because of the provisions in it. And the provisions aren't that draconian. They're actually quite modest. In addition to having a statewide tax increase uh, have to be passed by a two-thirds vote of each house of the legislature, that's the law right now, thanks to Prop 13, the Taxpayer Protection Act would say it also has to go to the voters in the the next statewide election. Uh, why do we have that? Well, exhibit A would be the gas tax. 
The gas tax was jammed through the legislature with a two-thirds vote of each house, and uh, and yet everybody knows that had the voters been given an opportunity to vote on that, they would have rejected it. So um, Taxpayer Protection Act is very pro-taxpayer. Politicians hate it. Politicians view direct democracy as infringing on their God-given right to tell us, the taxpayers and citizens, uh, what we what we should do. They filed this lawsuit in the directly in the California Supreme Court using a process known as an original writ of mandate. That's just fancy talk for bypassing all the lower courts and going directly to the California Supreme Court. Uh, it is an extraordinary proceedings. Uh, I think the the claims, and we can get into those if you want, the claims are very, very weak. Um, so they have filed this lawsuit. But as you say, it is kind of this kind of arrogance uh, that we've seen in in the uh, on the part of the governor. In fact, in the um, uh, in the moving papers, they said something that really I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a moment and repeat it because it is um, uh, really uh, really revealing as to the um, I'm trying to find it here. I'm like, oh, let's see. Uh, I had it right in front of me, but uh, in he, 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 here's what it says. This is what they said in their brief, because this reveals their attitude toward the voters and taxpayers. They say, by compelling voters, remember, this is the legislature and our governor who are saying this, by compelling voters to assume a far more active role in state government, the measure, TPA, would have a sobering implication for the future of governance. Taxation is both highly complex and essential to the adequate functioning of the state. Sound tax policy therefore requires time and expertise. California's full-time legislature has the capacity to implement tax policy because the legislators can spend weeks in committee reviewing a law and debating its impact. All, <laughs> I know, I know, which is which is laughable, which is laughable. Uh, yeah, yeah. In the 72 yeah, hours before they shut yeah, that, down. That's right. Try, try to, I, look, I'm keeping a straight face while I'm reading this. So, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, I know. All while being advised by professional legislative staff. Not so with the voters. As it is, voters have neither the time nor the researches resources at their disposal to comprehensively study their crowded ballots. Uh, how do we translate this? Shut up, you deplorable peasants. Let, <laughs> uh, let us, the expert politicians, tell you how much we need and how to spend it. So this is just, Susan, this is so revealing about the arrogance of the California political elites and the California political class, they have no respect, no respect for ordinary citizens. And that has translated into many of those people just moving out of state. Well, what else can you do? They come at you and they say, we want your money and you give it to them. And then they say, well, we want your money again because fire trucks. And then you give it to them. And then they come to you the next election. And they say, we want your money because fire trucks. And we say, but we just we the we fire trucks already and they say fire trucks again and this is how it goes in california people people can read their ballots they see perfectly well what's on them but everybody's alarmed that we are not getting the services that we need and why are we not getting the services that we need cuz they're spending the money you already pay 
on something else. And the main thing they spend it on, the biggest chunk, is public employees and all their benefits and right. all their pensions. The whole the, this rolling acquiring debt that we've got, where we just keep adding to what we're going to pay in the future, and the future arrives, and we're paying for all these bonds where we're borrowing money to do things that we could have paid for as we go and pay less for it because no interest. And then we're paying for all these pension debts that have been promised through the years that are excessive and we can't afford it, but we're stuck paying for it. And all that before we pay for any current needs. And this is just getting worse and worse and worse. And instead of empowering the growth of the tax producers, the tax payers, Instead of empowering businesses to create more jobs and create more taxpayers, they are driving businesses out of the state with not only high taxes, but ridiculous regulations. And people are leaving to go get those jobs in other states. And this is a circle the drain strategy. It, it, it is. And, and you would think that if our political leaders really wanted more money for their programs they would not do everything in their power to to drive businesses out. You know, we've talked about this before. California lost one representative in Congress because of demographic changes, people moving out. And there was a demographer who just projected that if we continue on this road, California will lose five representatives in Congress after the 2030 election if things don't change. Now, I hope things change. I hope the policies in the state uh, become sane instead of insane. But every day they seem to uh, uh, really, really demonstrate that they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, things like this fire in the underneath the I-10 bridge the, oh. there, there, there in L.A., that is just, that's just – you, you ask yourself, how did this happen? This isn't your run-of-the-mill fire, but you begin to peel back the layers of the onion, and you see that the homeless encampment that was there is just a manifestation of bad policy after bad policy, and we're spending more and more money on homelessness, and nothing really gets done. So you have weird fires and fires break out almost on a daily basis in homeless encampments and the answer from the progressives is throw money at it irrespective of whether or not that money is being well spent and it's not because there are other states that tax their citizens far less that do not have this problem because they they actually have solutions that work like you know, making sure everybody has a place to sleep that's not on the street. It can be, you can be in a drunk tank, you can be in a uh, housing, uh, temporary housing facility, you can, and there, there are states that create these places where people can uh, lay their head uh, that, that's not in a jail. But there are states, there are cities that say, we'll give you a place to sleep, but it's not going to be on the street. I mean, how weird would it be for California to have a policy like that? Well, we just happened to have in the same week that we had the fire under the 10. And it should be it should be noted that it has not conclusively been determined that the fire started in the homeless encampment. It's believed possibly to be arson, but not definitely proved. To I be don't arson. believe I don't believe it. You know, the, well, you, you know, I, I, Gavin Newsom immediately said arson. And but the fire marshal said, well, it's undetermined. Well, undetermined, that tells me. Yeah, uh, it tells me something. They're, else. they're trying to shift 
they're trying to shift the attention away from right. homeless encampments. But whatever caused the start of this, it was certainly made worse by the homeless encampments because there right. are all kinds of flammable materials that are that shouldn't be there. You can't store all this stuff, including probably propane tanks and things, because people are heating and cooking in these encampments and there's fuel for a fire. So it burned for three hours. It melted the front of a fire truck. But at the same time that this was happening in San Francisco, yeah. in a couple of weeks or less, all of a sudden, sparkling clean, the homeless encampments near the convention center swept away. And where did everybody go? Well, I tried to find out. What they did is they opened up some shelters and they told the people who were on the streets, you can't stay here. And they've made shelter beds available. That could be the policy all the time. That's right. allowed under the Ninth Circuit court decision that has created some of this situation, uh, Martin versus Boise from, I think, 2018, which right. said you can't enforce an anti-camping ordinance unless you have enough shelter beds for everyone. Right. Well, they won't build shelters. They want to build studio apartments. And studio apartments are incredibly expensive. They could build shelters. And they could even build regional shelters. It doesn't have to be shelters in every community right. to have to have. They could build large regional shelters. They could move people into that kind of temporary housing, and then into other kinds of temporary housing, but enforcing the anti-camping ordinances. They just demonstrated in San Francisco that they can do that whenever they want to. But in Los Angeles, what we have is the mayor giving press conference after press conference, yelling at the people of Los Angeles for being angry that there are homeless encampments catching on fire under the freeways as a regular part of life in L.A. And people are fed up and she's yeah. fed up with the people of Los Angeles for calling her out on it, which is quite something to see. It, it, it is. And what really got me was uh, she had a photo op on one of the metro trains saying, look, you know, I-10's broken down, so you can take the train. People, well, I can guarantee you she had a security detail around her when she took the train. If you re if you really want to put That's your life... That's a good life, idea for all of us, by the way. Yeah, if you really want to put your life at risk, uh, uh, you know, ride uh, MTA in L.A. or BART here up here in Northern California, uh, there's reasons people don't want to ride transit, and that is because they're unclean and they're unsafe. And so you can't, again, government telling us how to live our lives is becoming uh, increasingly frustrating. And again, for people who want um, just a, a little bit more freedom to be able to, to go places without fear, to be able to uh, uh, express yourself without being canceled, I mean, this is, there is reasons why. And, uh, you know, the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, every year does rich states, poor states. And it just it, people just are moving to freer states, um, Texas, Florida, and, and another organization called Cato, the Cato Institute, which is libertarian minded, uh, annually does a freedom index. And California is exactly where it was last year. 48th last out of 50 states in in the Freedom Index. Uh, government telling us uh, what to do, telling businesses what to do. If you're a small business person in, in uh, California, you have you have a real rough way to go. If you want the 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 really the best way to start. 
to, to get a small business in California is you start with a large business because you will be regulated <laughs> into a small business. That's you know that's an old joke, but some of these jokes are a little bit a uh, little they're bit. All, it's, they're only <laughs> funny if they're true. That's, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> there is that's truth right. in comedy. There is truth in comedy. Well, here in Los Angeles during the pandemic, there was this point when they finally allowed restaurants to be open for takeout. And some of the restaurants printed up banners at their local print shop, and the, they put the banners on their awnings or on their front their front wall, and they and they said, "Open, we are open for takeout." And the city of Los Angeles fined them for illegal signage. Now I ask you, <laughs> I ask you, what kind of people work in government that think, "Oh yes, we've shut these businesses down with this lockdown, and they want to put up a sign saying that food is available." If you want it, we can bring you food. And they're going to find the business for putting up a sign that says that. Yeah. Now, I believe cooler heads prevailed under threat of litigation. Right, but right. that was the first instinct of the government of the city of Los Angeles. So we have a serious problem in this state. They are not user friendly. They are not customer oriented. They could all use classes in how yes. to take better care of their customers. And, and, and it shouldn't take the threat of litigation because – Government should be responsive and should be willing to help businesses, not be there to say you can't do this, and then and then you negotiate, and then there's a lawsuit threatened, and then then they say, um, okay, you can do it. I mean, we see this with legislation all the time. You know, we've had an earlier discussion about the wealth tax, the wealth tax in California, where they're going to try to tax you on your total assets. Um, is an idea that's fundamentally stupid and and virtually impossible to implement. But the problem, Susan, is this. Just by floating the idea, just by putting it out there, you're giving people in the rest of the nation a reason not to come to California. And the people who are here, they can say, yeah, that's a really foolish idea. And even some of the progressives would say, oh, we're not going to do that. But the fact that it's out there even being talked about uh, it is is an impediment, and mm-hmm. and you know we're able to stop a lot of really bad legislation, but some of it gets through, and and even even legislation that we've stopped in prior years um, has some of it's been uh, uh, anti taxpayer legislation has gotten through. You know it's a tough fight here in California, and people understand that. Well, this is why we have to protect our direct democracy powers. And they they come at these things incrementally. They don't come at them and say, we're going to completely eliminate Proposition 13. They don't do that. They go after it in pieces. And they go after it with things that get around it. Like, for instance, we're seeing a new a new path that many city governments are trying to implement transfer taxes on real estate, which is a sales tax essentially on the on the transfer of real estate. And that is a way of taking back the money you quote saved when they didn't take it all the first time. Right. As if it's their money to take. It's like, well, we let you keep it, but now we want it. And so the transfer taxes are unconstitutional under the state constitution because that was in Prop 13. And yet the courts have allowed this loophole where, oh, if it's a general tax and if it's a charter city, then it's okay. And now more loopholes, which we hope we can we hope we can beat in the appellate court, such as Measure ULA, where a lower court just said, oh, well, it was an initiative. So this transfer tax for a special purpose that would have needed a two-thirds vote and is unconstitutional, it doesn't matter because it was an initiative. 
Well, right. that's twisted. Initiatives have to comply with the Constitution. That was not a constitutional amendment. That was a city ordinance. And if we amend the Constitution with a statewide initiative, they want to knock it off the ballot yeah. with their lawsuit. No. This is so twisted. Yeah, we have two opportunities to stop the the uh, ULA, the real estate transfer tax. And again, when we talk about the two-thirds vote, we're talking about the two-thirds vote at the local level for special taxes. Special taxes are taxes intended for a specific purpose. And Prop 13 made it very clear that those taxes are subject to a two-thirds vote. And as Susan, you just said, this this loophole was, well, it doesn't necessarily apply if that local tax was put on the ballot via a so-called citizen's initiative. Well, what's wrong with the citizen's initiative? Because we use it all the time. Well, in this context, for tax increases, the citizen's initiative are usually the politicians themselves or their allies or both. You know, you'll have the city council or board of supervisors allied with labor organizations to, quote, do a citizen's initiative to put it on the ballot. Um, but we have two bites at that apple, which is the good news. Number one, uh, we have a very strong case, we believe, to invalidate the uh, Los Angeles ULA tax for the housing and homelessness and whatever. Uh, very, very heavy real estate transfer tax, uh, 4%, 5% in that range. Uh, but we also, if we talk about the Taxpayer Protection Act, if if we're successful and that is approved by the voters in November, then there is a reachback provision that says a small number of taxes, of which ULA is one, a small number of taxes will have to be resubmitted to the voters, and in order to be continue to be collected, they would need a two-thirds vote going forward. Well, I don't think they could get the two-thirds vote if if this were subject to the original intent of Prop 13, but so we have to, we have two bites. We we have the litigation, and passage of the Taxpayer Protection Act would require that that tax be uh, submitted to the voters for ratification. So, you know, we we are not without tools, but here in California, this is a very hostile environment for California taxpayers. Well, let's talk about what's in the Taxpayer Protection Act because it becomes very clear why the politicians hate it. You mentioned voter approval of state taxes. So that's a new protection. Mm -hmm. That That's something that hasn't happened before, where when they pass a tax by a two-thirds vote of each house and the governor signs it, it would then go to the voters for approval. That is a very powerful taxpayer protection. And then we put the two-thirds requirement back despite the court decisions that say initiatives don't don't have to comply with the Constitution, right. which is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous ruling, which the appellate courts have upheld and expanded, and now the politicians are counting on it. You can hear them talk about, oh, well, we're going to have a tax. If we get it with signatures, then there's a different threshold. What do you mean we? They're yeah. not supposed to be the so-called citizens initiative. They're the politicians. Right. If they do this, it has to be a two-thirds vote, even under this loophole. But that, be that as it may, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of nonsense. We're going to put an end to it with the Taxpayer Protection Act, which says special taxes at the local level need a two-thirds vote of the electorate, no matter how they get on the ballot. So that's in there. And then there's ballot transparency, so that if it's a tax increase that they're putting on the ballot, they have to call it a tax increase. 
and tell you how much and for how long and what they're going to spend it on. Is that right? Yes. And there's a provision in there that says the representations in the ballot uh, argument in the ballot label are uh, enforceable under law. So, Ooh. so remember, remember how we were. Remember what we were told about the high-speed rail project. About <laughs> it, it would pay for itself. It would go from San Francisco to L.A. in two hours. It would uh, no no taxpayer dollars. No stranded uh, segments. No, no stranded segments. Uh, a third of the money would be coming from the private sector. We've waited. How many, we've waited twenty years, and no private money has shown up. Um, all those things, you know, uh, we, we've lost some of the cases challenging that, and we've argued that hey, these were promises made to the voters. So one of the provisions in the uh, in the Taxpayer Protection Act says that the representations in um, a tax increase put before the voters are legally binding. So and. Any interested person can sue to enforce the provisions of a uh, of a um, proposed tax increase if the money's being misdirected. So, um, no wonder they hate it. No wonder they hate it. That takes no away wonder. one of their favorite tools, which is to tell you they're going to spend the money on this, and then they spend the money on that. That's one of their favorite things: is to divert the money that you voted for whatever to something else. Yeah, you know, you know, the politician would say, "Okay, I know that I promised you guys that the money would be spent uh, to fix a road, but you know, my office needed new paneling so bad, so, badly. so bad. You can't imagine how the old paneling just faded in the sun. It's climate yeah. change." <laughs> We have to we have to pay for it with the new environmental climate change water quality bill bond that we're gonna we're gonna six billion dollars for new paneling. Oh wait, no for climate change. Yeah, you know you know the, what the a trick. Yeah, what a trick. The, the climate bond never made the the ballot, but that was being proposed uh, last year. I'm sure that will come back. We can talk about Prop One that will be on the March ballot. That's the governor's new new toy. Oh, um, that's a mess. That is a mess. But but remember the climate bond the title was so long it wouldn't fit on a single page i mean it was all this <laughs> litany of it was just just hilarious <laughs> talking about a grab bag of nonsense uh now fortunately i think people probably did the polling on that one and said this one's doa but the governor is moving forward on that prop one which is got its own problems we can talk about that later if you want well let's talk about it now it's six billion dollars 6.38 billion dollar bond for more of the same kind of policy that we saw with project room key which is essentially beds with supportive services down the hall and no one's required to use any of the supportive services you're just required to pay for the bed and for 6.3 billion dollars we get 11,500 beds i think is the governor's estimate from his own press release. So I don't know, $6.3 billion sounds like a lot for 11,500 beds. Is it just me? Am I bad at math? No, I, I don't have a, my calculator in front of me, <laughs> but I think I think that's kind of like we're talking mansion territory. Here. I think that's a lot of money to pay for, for, for individual studio apartments. That's a lot. And of course, it's not really $6.38 billion because when you pay it back, you pay interest and the interest rates are up. So you're going to pay 10 billion, 12 billion. No one really knows how much it'll be by the end, but certainly it's about double what whatever you whenever you pass a bond, double the amount that they tell you it is because when you have to pay it back, which you do, 
ahead of all your current needs, it's double what it's, you're paying it with interest. Yeah, interest. A lot and you're, of also, you're also paying on the front end, you're paying underwriter fees and bond attorneys and all these other people who make money in this business, which if it's legitimate, that's great. But if they're just doing what should be regular government budgeted items with borrowed money, you're paying twice as much as you should for everything. And that's yeah. unsustainable. Yeah, you know, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, uh, I, I believe someplace on our website we have, uh, if it's not, we need to put it up there. It's the principles of sound bond financing, which is if you're going to do a bond, here are the things it needs to have, like a specific single purpose, all right? And uh, and um, voter approval and making sure that you don't spend it all on capital improvements, that you keep a maintenance fund so you don't let the thing deteriorate, then you have to go out for another bond in 10 years. So there are a lot of there are a lot of principles of sound bond financing and very few there's a few local bonds that aren't bad, but I haven't seen anything at the state level that comes close to qualifying as a legitimate um, bond that fulfills a a emergency public need no they all look like christmas presents they all look like it's wrapped up it's something that they couldn't get through the legislature in the regular budget process as much as they get everything through in the regular budget process Mm -hmm. such as it is it's something they couldn't even get through that and so they say i know we'll make everyone's grandchildren pay for it and then they put it in a bond and i don't think voters always recognize the effect that all this growing debt has on current services and that's the problem. It it looks sure. so great, all wrapped up and shiny on the ballot. You know, it's like, well, who doesn't favor fill in the blank, clean water, clean streets, safe neighborhoods, whatever it is, they name it something that's very appealing. And you don't get the real truth unless you read the fine print, sometimes even then. For instance, when we had that water bond, which I think was 2014 or 2016, that had $2.3 billion in it for water storage ahead of all these new rainy seasons that we're having. Once we got out of our dry years, we started with the heavy rain, heavy rain for the wet years because that's our climate, that's our normal climate, and the water storage wasn't built. Why wasn't it built? Because in the fine print of that bond measure, every water project had to show public benefits in order to be approved. And water storage was not a public benefit. They defined public benefits to exclude water. But the whole purpose was water. The public benefits were things like recreation and migratory birds and emergency and smelt. services. Del- the, the Delta, Delta smelt. smelt. Those are the public <laughs> benefits. And if you don't demonstrate that you can have jet skis on it and it's also good for migratory birds, then you can't have the water storage because it doesn't meet the test. So year after year, these things were delayed with the result that they were never built. So you promised, you, you approved the money, you agreed to pay for it, and they were not built. I think there's they're about to break ground on the first one now. It's 2023. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the governor is now gung ho for what's called the Sites Reservoir. The Sites Reservoir is a um is a reservoir that would be built north of Sacramento uh and it's funny because there's not a river that flows into the location of with the site's reservoir. It would be one of these, I forget there's a name for it, the reservoir where they just pump water from the Sacramento River into this big off-site storage uh, facility, which, which, which is legitimate, although there's a lot of energy costs associated with pumping water uh, like that. But we all know why they started now, uh, because 
somebody's running for president and he wants to be able to say, I built know, this. I built this. <laughs> I built this. You know, is this, was this one of his big, hairy, good ideas? I don't know. I can't remember. Well, doesn't he want to be photographed next to the, <laughs> next to the bullet train? There's a construction site in Fresno and there's some kind of a computer animation of the train whooshing back and forth across the state. Doesn't he want to be photographed next to that? Yeah. You know, California public, uh, public works are really good at animation. Too bad they're not good <laughs> at the real thing. It's too bad we can't live in an animation. Yeah. If we could, California would really we would have it. Okay, so we covered the voter approval of state taxes. We covered the two thirds vote protection, putting back what was already there in Prop right. thirteen, and we covered the what was the third one? Well, we need to cover the. Uh, oh, we covered the transparency, but we should talk about the fees and how the 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 legal the the fees cannot be delegated to administrative agencies. This is a big one. This is a big one, uh, and one that's uh, a, as an attorney who has crossed swords with government my entire professional life, I can tell you that the ability to hold politicians accountable for the monetary exactions that they force on the rest of us is very important because right now much of the taxing power in the state of California is delegated to administrative agencies. Um, it's like we're going to delegate to the California Air Resources Control Board that um, you can levy fees and charges, giving them broad discretion on levying levying fees and, and, and other exactions. Um, the Taxpayer Protection Act would require that any fee or charge or tax imposed by government, by the state or local governments, had to has to be approved by someone who is elected by the people, a city council, the board of supervisors, the legislature. Now, the administrative agency can propose a fee schedule, can propose a tax, but some elected official has to vote on it. And the reason we need this so badly is be, it's for political accountability. You know, too often the uh, politicians say, well, it wasn't me who raised the tax. I never voted on this thing. It was that, you know, um, uh, Bureau of Redundancy Bureau that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that imp imposed the tax. And, you, you know, that's that's why we need this. Well, we we can't have this situation where things that are really taxes are imposed as if no one's in control of them because the re the regulators point to the legislature and they say, well, we're just complying with the targets that are the goals that are in the legislation that was passed in 2006. We're all just complying with the plan and the scoping of the of the regulatory uh, delegation of power, and we don't have any choice. No one has any choice. The truckers have to be told that they must replace their engines, and we don't care how many billions of dollars it costs we're just enforcing our obligation because the legislature passed a target and this is how we're meeting the target. We're only to put a tax on warehouses to meet the target that 20 years ago, the legislature passed in some piece of legislation no one still remembers. And this is how this is going with these huge costs imposed by regulators in California that have a real effect on what you pay at the grocery store and everywhere else in this state. Remember, one of the worst examples of trying to dodge accountability was a 
statute that squeaked through on the last few hours of the legislative session that seemed to mandate that private electrical providers like PG&E and Southern Cal Edison um, develop rate structures uh, based on income, Mm -hmm. based on income. Yes. And so this was nobody, this, this evaded everyone's attention. Nobody was, but as soon as some proposal came before the Public Utilities Commission, and all of a sudden people read it, they were going, oh, oh my gosh, this is not paying for electricity that you use. This is paying for electricity at different rates, depending on how rich you are. Mm-hmm. Oh man, the blowback on that was, you know, and we were part of that blowback because it violates fundamental principles of cost of service for for metered service and things like that. Electrical rates, water rates, sewer rates should be limited to the cost of service of being provided. And that is another aspect of the Taxpayer Protection Act. It it ratifies and gives taxpayers more powerful tools to enforce cost of service principles. We're not saying you can't charge fees for water. What we're saying is you can charge reasonable fees for water, but it's got to be based on the cost of providing that water to that particular rate payer. That's why this is so important. This is a really interesting trick that they did. They this was in the trailer bill as part of the budget process, mm-hmm. took effect immediately. Another one of the they said, "Oh, thoughtful." They're thoughtful and they debate the impact and mm-hmm. sound tax policy and on and on and on. Well, this was rushed through in the dark of night, dark probably because the lights were out because the electricity <laughs> and and they shoved this through. This was part of the energy so-called trailer bill, which 72 hours and they vote on it. And it was 20,000 words. And this was one sentence in it. And it required the utility, the investor-owned utilities to create a new rate structure of income-based fixed charges. And what that means is this is the charge you pay to be connected to the grid. So even if you installed a solar array, you are now going to be taxed based on your income for this fixed charge to connect to the grid. (laughs) So people were pretty upset. And it was all delegated to the California Public Utilities Commission to figure out how to do this. Who's going to verify the income? How are they going to what how are they going to do this? And they nobody knows. So it's all it's all at the PUC. And and these are not elected officials. So they're not accountable. Yeah, and there's even one more step removed because they kind of mandated that the electrical companies come up with the rate structure because the the rates have to be approved by the PUC. So the legislature in passing this was kind of passing the ball to the to the electrical companies, and they have to they have to obey the law. So they came up with some rate structures that have to ultimately be approved by the PUC. PUC is not an elected, not elected board. So this is brilliant. This is a brilliant way to tax income without ever having the thing characterized as a tax. Right. And uh, and I think, fortunately, fortunately, uh, I think a lot of people looked at that and the, and the reaction was extremely negative, which raises the point, Susan, people pay attention to what's going on. I mean, if we don't blow the whistle, if if you see something that you think is out of whack, 
you know, call your legislator, call your city council person. You just can't let these things lie there and uh, and and move without some sort of pushback. I am I am cautiously optimistic that we have begun to see the pendulum maybe just maybe start to swing back our way in terms of fiscal sanity. Uh, something happened in the state of Colorado uh, just a couple weeks ago in an in an election where, you know, Colorado has turned fairly progressive. It used to be uh, more conservative, uh, but now it's fairly progressive. And and the governor and the legislature tried to push through a weakening of their tax reform, and it was rejected, 60-40. So that tells me that it's probably not related to political labels, Republican or Democrat. It's just I think Americans from coast to coast are are, are tired of being told that we need more, and yet government is not providing the proof that that money is being well spent. Well, what they're doing is they're creating a lot of policies that raise the cost of living and increase poverty, and then they want to find a way to use other types of fees as a tax to transfer wealth from one person to another so they mm-hmm. don't get the political burn that would otherwise come from raising your power rates and water rates, but it's not really working anymore because it's all too high. It's too high for everybody and it's too high for businesses. When you raise the cost of water and electricity, that affects businesses too. So the whole thing is policy driven. And the really sad part of it for California and for everybody who lives here is that none of these climate policies in California affect the climate. This is all designed to provide world leadership and a good model of climate behavior. And meanwhile, China's building coal plants. And our governor goes to China and says they're a model for for climate excellence. They're not a model for climate excellence. Well, they're a mo- <laughs> they're a model for genocide, but they're, they're a model not for a mo- that too. Yeah. That too. They're just they're just uh, just generally not the communist China should not be the model for anything in America, no, I, especially I, in California. And we have these climate policies that are causing your water rates to go up, your electricity rates to go up and up and up again. And all of these policies are designed to make you use less electricity because they're squeezing the whole state into scarcity yeah. out of this leadership idea that we're going to model climate leadership because the whole state of California is only 1%, 1% of global emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. So nothing we're doing to reduce them has any effect on the climate, only on your checking account, only on your income. And this is really the biggest thing we could do is have rational policy for the environment. Rational. Just rational policy for yeah. the environment would be the best tax cut in California. Yeah, and and good tax policy reflected by the Taxpayer Protection and Government Accountability Act coming this year in 2024. Uh, listeners, listeners of this uh, podcast and this radio broadcast are going to be hearing a lot about the Taxpayer Protection Act, folks. This is going to be World War Three. Uh, the 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 lines, the battle lines, are drawn uh, very clearly between. Ordinary between ordinary citizens and businesses on one hand, and the tax takers, the bureaucrats, the politicians, and the labor organizations on the other. It's really, really important that we we, in the spirit of Proposition Thirteen, that we enforce some degree of tax and fiscal sanity. Otherwise, you know, you might as well call the U-Haul truck now. 
don't call the U-Haul, cancel the U-Haul. Here's what you do. <laughs> you join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers yes. Association. Be a member of this member-supported organization. A lot of people don't know this is a member-supported organization. It runs on small donations from members. So for $15 a year, you can be one of those members. You'll get our Taxing Times newsletter, which is filled with information you won't read anywhere else pro-taxpayer information, not anti-taxpayer information. We will tell you what's going on and how you can get the most out of the benefits that are available to you. So be sure and do that. Join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. We will have election information for you about the ballot measures all next year. We will have letters that'll come in the mail, tell you what's going on. HJTA.org is the website. You can join right online. Just click join us. And you can also make a, do- a donation to our tax deductible, a tax deductible donation to our foundation, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Foundation, which does all our great legal work on behalf of taxpayers, because you can't always sue yourself over these things. Sometimes you need help. So we are looking out for the taxpayers of the state of California in the courts, in the legislature, on the ballot. Don't forget to go to repealthedeathtax.com and get the petition. And send it in right now. Tick, tick the clock on this. We have to get those petitions back. So sign that and we will fix that death tax that was hidden inside Prop 19 and restore the ability of parents and children to transfer property without a tax increase. Very important for every community in California, for all the small businesses, for all the people who live in apartments that are owned by mom and pop landlords. Everybody's affected by this new law this new change to the law that was slipped through in Prop 19 that now requires the reassessment of property to current market value when passed from parent to child. We want to put back what we had before, which was protection from that, so that there will not be a tax increase when property is passed from parents to children. A home of any value and a limited amount of other property. And it's retroactive so that if you were caught in this, you can get your original value reinstated. So it's very important. Repeal the death tax.com, download the petition, print it right at home, sign it and send it in. Hurry up. Hurry, <laughs> Time's hurry. Wasting. Time's hurry, 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 because we need those back. That's going to do it for us today. I'm Susan Shelley, Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. For John Kupal, President of HJTA, thank you for being with us and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.